Thank you for tuning in to a Budapest Beacon podcast. My name is Ben Novak. Joining me in the studio today, the fabulous Miss Lily Byer. Lily, thanks for coming by. It's good to be here. This was a big week for U.S.-Hungary relations. On Tuesday, the National Assembly adopted an amendment extending the deadline for higher education institutions to comply with Lex CEU. That's the law that drew 80,000 protesters out into the streets to show support for the Central European University. Why is this extension even news? Well, it was huge news and a huge surprise for the Central European University itself for its administration, professors, and students because they thought that the months of legal limbo over the university's future were over. So the Hungarian government has reached a draft agreement with the state of New York, while the Central European University has a memorandum of understanding now with Bard College, which would allow the university to comply with the higher education bill's requirement that an international institution of higher education have a campus in its home country. So CEU thought that the months of uncertainty were over. They thought that the Hungarian parliament would now certify that CEU is in compliance with the law and that um, they will be able to continue operating as before. But now with this extension, which has come out of the blue, the university doesn't know when the parliament will certify its compliance. And from what government officials have been saying over the past days, it seems like they are far from a hurry to do so, which means that the legal limbo and uncertainty may continue for over another year. On Tuesday, CEU President and Rector Michael Ignatieff held a press conference to address this apparent cat and mouse game and to explain what impact this is having on the university. Here's what he asked. To say. The story, very simply, is that CEU has done everything that it can to comply with Lex CEU. We're complying with the requirement that there be a new bilateral agreement with a state of origin, and we're complying with the requirement that we conduct educational activity there. My question is, why can't the Prime Minister of Hungary take yes for an answer? Hungary has also signed and ratified a similar agreement with Maryland in relation to McDaniel College, and you will have seen that went through the Hungarian parliament. So why sign an agreement with one United States state and not with another? That looks like discrimination to us. Yesterday, Minister Balog said it would be pointless to sign an agreement now with New York. And yet we hear from New York, it's the rumor at least, that Hungary has not walked away from the table in New York. So we're entitled to ask, what's going on here? Who's in charge? We have been defending our academic freedom for 26 years, and we're proud of the support that we've received from great universities around the world, and especially from our Hungarian colleagues and friends. What they understand, as we do, is that you can't have academic freedom. You can't have academic freedom unless you have the rule of law. Let me be direct and clear with you. Lex CEU has made a travesty of the rule of law. It was introduced without consultation in April. It was passed in six days. It's still subject to constitutional challenge. It's contested by the European Commission for violations of European law. It's been criticized by the Venice Commission for its arbitrary and discriminatory application. And now suddenly it's been amended. So that a university having spent six months in uncertainty 
may be condemned to another 12 months in legal limbo. Finally, this is just unacceptable, and we call on the Hungarian government to sign the New York Agreement now, send it to Parliament, and restore the rule of law to Hungarian higher education. Lily, have you noticed this shift in messaging from CEU? It's no longer just about academic freedom. It's now a rule of law issue. Yes, absolutely. So initially, when the higher education amendments were introduced in the spring, CEU made this really about academic freedom. And their campaign to save the university revolved around this idea that um, CEU is being targeted uh, because it is a free institution. And they really shied away from talking about broader issues of democracy in Hungary. And in one BBC interview, Michael Ignatieff even tried to shy away from the idea that uh, Hungary is becoming increasingly authoritarian. He really didn't want to make that statement. He wanted to focus on saving the institution itself. But now what we're seeing uh, with um, the continuation of this limbo and these new changes to the law is that CEU's leadership is starting to adopt rhetoric that goes beyond just academic freedom, but goes to the heart of problems in Hungary over the rule of law and democracy. So here are a few clips of Michael Ignatiev really driving home this point about the rule of law in Tuesday's press conference. This is my point about the rule of law. A university, a free institution, cannot operate without legal stability. And that's all we're asking from the Hungarian government. It's a perfectly reasonable Request And here we can hear Michael Ignatiev wading into Hungarian domestic politics. And whatever political agenda the government is running, it shouldn't drag this university in. That's why we're making this point about the rule of law. In a rule of law state, you don't tamper with institutions in this way. You leave them alone. Ignatiev is really highlighting here that Lex CEU was a political decision and that the future of the university is still very much in the hands of a uh, government that is deciding the future of institutions of higher education based on political internal motivations. Let me make this very clear. No university in Europe has been put through what we've been put through. It's just unacceptable. I'm here having this press conference because we want a solution. But a solution is on the table. And every time we get within reach of a solution, the goalposts get moved. The criteria get changed. Ignatiev goes on to say that he will not comment on the politics of Hungary and that, again, this issue is about the rule of law. We can speculate about what's going on. I don't want to. It's not my business. I'm not a political commentator. We all know the atmosphere in this country. But the fundamental issue is an issue about the rule of law. You can't run institutions, free institutions, and we're a proud free institution without a rule of law basis for your operations. That's what we're seeking from the Hungarian government. They claim to be a member of the European community. Fine. There are standards relating to the rule of law in Europe. There are meetings later this week. This is an important point. There are meetings later this week of the European Council in Brussels where the heads of government will meet. Mr. Orban will be in the room with other heads of government. 
they are entitled to ask whether rule of law is respected in Hungary. But Tuesday's press conference was not the only tense point in U.S.-Hungary relations this week. Shortly before Ignatiev's press conference, U.S. charge d'affaires David Kostelanchik delivered his own address on the freedom of the press. Now, before addressing the U.S.'s concerns with press freedom in Hungary, he discussed why the First Amendment is the foundation of American democracy. The need for accountability is one of the primary reasons that the freedom of press is protected by the First Amendment to the United States Constitution. Our founding fathers, having witnessed the sharp restrictions on speech and punishment for political dissent under the rule of the King of England, recognized that a free democratic society cannot exist without a free press, fully empowered to inform the people about the actions of their government and giving them the tools to make sure that the government does not abuse power. For the same reasons, protections for a free press are also found today in the Hungarian fundamental law. Your experience in a society without free press is more fresh and recent than ours. I'm sure that many of you lived through the days when the only alternative to the official news came from brave Hungarian men and women publishing samizdat in secrecy of their homes, striving to speak truth about the communist system. Because of these experiences, because of the horror and the failure of the alternative, protections for freedom of the press are enshrined in the United Nations Universal Declaration of Human Rights, the EU Charter of Fundamental Rights, and the OSCE's Charter for European Security, and in the constitutions and law books of democracies throughout the world. Our strongest, most stable, most trustworthy allies are those that share this commitment. In his address to the people of Poland in July, President Trump spoke of our transatlantic alliance and the values at the heart of it. In his words, the priceless ties that bind us together as nations, as allies, and as a civilization. Among those values, he proclaimed, and I quote, we treasure the rule of law and protect the right to free speech and free expression. Men and women everywhere who cherish liberty know they must protect the freedom of the press. For this reason, I am not the first American official, and I will not be the last to speak in defense of a free press. It is fundamental to our foreign policy interests. And then he got quite specific, didn't he, Lily? He did. He went into really the uh, details of the Hungarian media market, talking about advertising and the challenges journalists working here in Hungary face. In recent years, the United States has spoken on multiple occasions about negative trends in the sphere of press freedom in Hungary. Unfortunately, these trends seem to be continuing. Government allies have steadily acquired control and influence over the media market without objection from the regulatory body designed 
to prevent monopolies. Most recently, companies affiliated with pro-government figures acquired control of the last remaining independent regional newspapers. Journalists who work for these outlets, or who used to work for these outlets, tell us that they must follow pro-government editorial lines that come from the outlet's new owners, and that they do not have the freedom to publish articles that are critical of the government. The government also directs substantial publicly funded advertising contracts to the outlets of friendly owners, and very little to independent outlets. We hear reports that businesses are told that they must not advertise with independent outlets. And in a recent development, some media outlets closely linked to the government published the names of individual journalists they characterized as threats to Hungary. This is dangerous to the individuals and also to the principles of a free, independent media. These media outlets have every right to criticize or disagree with the reporting of other journalists, but to attempt to intimidate them and make their work dangerous is inconsistent with international pledges to safeguard free media. We must protect free press, even when it is critical of us, as it is the very foundation of democracy. The United States unequivocally condemns any attempt to intimidate or silence journalists. But let me be clear. There is still an independent and opposition media uh, and independent and opposition outlets here that are able to practice journalism with broad editorial freedom. This is a good thing. However, their numbers are dwindling and they face challenges in the advertising market that pro-government outlets do not. They face pressure and intimidation. As a result, fewer Hungarians are exposed to the robust debate and discussion that is so important, in fact, fundamental to a representative democracy. How can people meaningfully express their will if they only have access to one or a limited point of view. What I find so interesting about the Chargé's remarks is how different they are from Ambassador Colleen Bell's remarks on Nepsabachag back in January. Back then, she gave an interview to Index in which she was asked three times whether she thought Nepsabachag was shut down for political reasons. And each time she responded to that question, she couldn't give a direct answer, a straight answer. Why was Nepsabachag shut down? She was almost just walking around that topic. And now with the Chargé's remarks, we have very specific, concrete assertions of what is happening in Hungary's media market. So there, there are a couple of things here. The first thing is that uh, Colleen Bell was a political appointee who throughout her term at times shied away from being 
uh, critical of the government. Um, some listeners may remember that Anita Kumuvesh of Nape Sabachag went to Washington, D.C. right after the newspaper was shut down. She had meetings at the State Department, and I believe uh, one of the State Department officials actually tweeted a photo with her in a, in a way, uh, a show of solidarity with the journalists of Nape Sabachag. So there was some uh, show of support from the State Department, if not directly from Colleen Bell um, during her exit interview. And another thing to keep in mind is that it's becoming increasingly clear that the media situation is not only bad, but is actually actively deteriorating. Um, so we're seeing um, increasingly uh, tight control of the media. Some issues are not reported on by the state wire and by uh, papers close to the government. But we're also seeing that papers that are formally more critical of the government have started adopting more and more red lines or some issues that they don't cover or some things that they criticize but don't have independent reporting on. Um, so the the environment is getting tougher and tougher. Now, the government responded immediately to the Chargé's remarks. And uh, surprise, surprise, he's a liar. He doesn't know what he's talking about. So there were a few statements from the foreign ministry uh, later on. Uh, Mr. Lazad, Mr. Kovach all weighed in as well. Um, the gist of what they're saying is that uh, the embassy doesn't understand the situation in Hungary. The Chargé doesn't speak Hungarian. Uh, they made some quite uh, rude comments, in fact, um, about the embassy and the embassy staff. Um, in Magyar Iduk, we even saw some Russian propaganda claiming that uh, the U.S. embassy is filled with uh, Soros supporters, um, that piece was adapted into Hungarian from an article in Russia Insider, interestingly enough. Um, and what we've also seen is Hungarian officials from the foreign ministry and other institutions um, saying that the United States should not be interfering in Hungarian domestic politics, especially during an election year. And this is fascinating because Hungary is a signatory to several conventions which say that on issues of human rights and press freedoms, partners like the United States have a right and a responsibility to speak out and that this does not constitute interference in domestic politics. These are documents that the Hungarian government and indeed even Prime Minister Orban, when he was prime minister for the first time, actually signed. So there you have it, university shutdowns and media sector takeovers. Thanks for joining us. See you next time. Goodbye. Bye.